welcome to another episode of Let's Celebrate, a Holiday Origins podcast. I'm your host, Rusty Brown, and today we're celebrating St. Valentine's Day. If you're new here, this is a podcast about holidays and their origins as the name suggests. Each episode, I will be discussing a specific holiday, the history behind it, and the why and how it has been celebrated in the past, and then how it's evolved into what we know today and how we now celebrate that holiday. I'm also going to sometimes give alternative ways to how we could celebrate, um, to connect more to nature and to spirit if you're into that sort of thing. This episode, I will be discussing the love-filled, chocolate-eating, red and pink heart holiday we celebrate on February 14th, Valentine's Day. But before I get into that, if you listened to last month's New Year's Eve episode, I talked about my plan to incorporate an arse gong, or year walk, which is an ancient Swedish divination practice into my New Year's celebration. Listener, shout out to Audrey, my sister. (laughs) She asked me about uh, how that went for me. So before we get into the Valentine's Day episode, I thought I would just talk about how I went about incorporating that into my New Year's Eve celebration. So I spent my New Year's Eve with my mom and we decided to go to Northwest Arkansas. We spent the morning and the early afternoon at the Crystal Bridges Art Museum and then the momentary contemporary art space. In a traditional arsgong, people would spend the day alone in meditation and I felt like spending the day looking at art was sort of like a meditation for us. We also went to an installation at the Momentary called Sub by Kurt Hinchlager. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm sorry if not. Which um, this was described as set in complete darkness in an immersive meditative environment that induces a simple, dramatic, perceptual shift. Embarking into pitch black, visitors are invited to drift off into an ambiguous state of sensory deprivation and overload, slowly adapting to an unfamiliar terrain. So that was just as described. It was a very meditative experience. So after we finished at the museums, we drove to Eureka Springs, Um, That's where we decided to stay for the night. We had dinner, met up with a friend of mine. Shout out to Luke if you're listening. And then about 15 minutes before midnight, we walked across the street to the Basin Park where my mom and I discussed what we were going to be doing during the Arsgong. We said a little prayer or set an intention, whatever you want to call it, for what we wanted to get out of the Arsgong. And at the stroke of midnight, um, as we heard everyone celebrating all over town, we set off on our walk. For a traditional arsgong, there is no talking, no laughing, or making any sounds aloud, and you're supposed to pay attention to the sounds and signs along the way. 
Um, and those are said to be messages about the upcoming year. It's said that if you make any sounds, you will be punished in some way. Some stories even said that you might die. There is one particular story that warned of a horse that would pick up people, um, and its back would grow longer and longer to fit more and more people and then jump into water and drown all the people. So we made sure not to get on the back of any horses that looked abnormally large and full of people. So there's a popular church behind the Crescent Hotel called St. Elizabeth Catholic Church, and that's where we decided would be our destination church. It was about a 30-minute walk up the mountain from the Basin Park, and I ended up taking my journal out and made notes about everything that felt like it had some kind of importance or significance along the way. And then once we got to the church, we walked around the church three times counterclockwise. And luckily this church is well lit and has a paved walkway around it. While I was walking around it, I contemplated all the things that I had encountered on the walk and what they could be telling me about the upcoming year. After we finished walking around the church, we both sat down on benches that were in front of the church and I again said a little prayer, said an intention, asking for guidance and understanding, and then I set to journaling about the experience. I sat there for about 20 minutes writing, and I think my mom only wrote for like five minutes. So there's not really a right or wrong way to do this. I mean, we were, we were just doing our own thing. And I probably could have wrote for an entire hour if I had been alone, but since she was just kind of sitting there not writing, I kind of wrapped it up quicker than I would have if I was alone. Also, we didn't discuss when we would be able to start talking. So my mom asked before we left the courtyard, like, when can we start talking again? And I was thinking we needed to at least leave the, the church before um, we started talking again. But... Then again, um, like this practice is meant to be alone. So like I said, we kind of did it how we wanted to. So yeah, probably traditionally you wouldn't talk to anybody else until you encountered them outside of the um, courtyard or the churchyard once you got home or back into town. I really enjoyed doing this practice. Um, it felt like I did get some good insights into um, the new year, and it was a fun thing to do in a town that we were kind of uh, unfamiliar with. I bet it would be fun really in any town, um, even one that you are familiar with. The only thing is that I would want to make sure that the church was a good, well-lit place for walking around in the middle of the night. There was a church across the street from our Airbnb, but it didn't have any sort of churchyard. So there was no way of like walking around it. Overall, this experience was something different than a champagne toast and a hangover on New Year's Day. And I look forward to hopefully celebrating this way again next year. Okay, so without further ado, 
let's get into what you are here for. St. Valentine's Day. So before we get into the meat of the episode, each episode features a festive themed beverage or celebration to go with the holiday that you can make at home so you can join me in celebrating the holiday. The celebration for this episode is a chocolate-covered coconut cocktail. Since my last episode, I have relocated to tropical Guatemala. So I wanted to use ingredients that were readily available for me here, and I just made some fresh coconut milk a couple days ago. And also, I associate chocolate with Valentine's Day, so I definitely wanted to incorporate some chocolate into this episode's salivation. To make a cocktail for two, or just two servings, if you don't feel like sharing, I'm not gonna judge you. You'll need three to four ounces of rum, a can of coconut milk, or approximately 13 to 14 ounces of fresh coconut milk, and two tablespoons or however much of chocolate syrup you want to add. Basically, you make a chocolate milk with the coconut milk and the chocolate syrup, and then you add the rum to it, and that's it. It's delicious. I only had clear rum, but I would recommend using a coconut rum if you can get your hands on some. You just shake it with ice and pour. To make this into a mocktail, you can just not add the rum and you'll have a delicious chocolate coconut milk. Okay, so now let's get to the juicy content you're really here for. Let's celebrate Valentine's Day. So we'll start with the history behind it. I'm going to start with the pagan history because it seems to be the oldest. And what I found is that the pagan festival called Lupercalia that was celebrated from February 13th to February 15th is said to be the beginnings of what we know today as St. Valentine's Day. Lupercalia was a fertility festival dedicated to Faunus, the Roman god of agriculture, as well as the Roman founders Romulus and Remus. In Roman mythology, Romulus and Remus are said to be the founders of Rome, and as infants they were cared for by a she-wolf or lupa in a sacred cave. So during Lupercalia, an order of Roman priests, members of Luperci would gather at that cave and sacrifice a goat for fertility and a dog for purification. After the sacrifice, two naked members of the Luperci were smeared with the animal's blood using the bloody sacrificial knife. The blood was then removed with a piece of milk-soaked wool as the Luperci were said to be laughing. So then they would take the strips of goat hide that were called thongs or februa dipped them into the sacrificial blood, and then they would go into the streets and gently slap the women and the crop fields with the goat hide. It was believed that this would make both the women and the fields more fertile. So it was a welcome tradition, it said. 
Then later in the day, the young women would put their names in a large urn and all the city's bachelors would choose a name and become paired with their chosen women for the year. These matches would often lead to a marriage between the pairs. Valentine's Day still uses the colors from these celebrations. The color red, which represents a blood sacrifice, and the color white, which signifies the milk used to wipe the blood clean and represents new life and procreation. So now to the actual, why we call it St. Valentine's Day, and we will look to the Catholic Church for that. The Catholic Church recognizes at least three different saints named either Valentine or Valentinus, all of whom were martyred, two under the reign of the Roman Emperor Claudius Gothicus, who reigned during 269 to 270 AD. There is a Jesuit scholar named Jean Boland, who began in 1643 to publish the 68 folio volumes of Acta Sanctorium, translated to Lives of the Saints, which was continued by Bolinist monks, with the last volume being published in 1940. This is a collection of information about every saint and their saints days. So these books help people understand where the names of saints days come from. So according to the Bolinus, the first Valentinus is said to have died in Africa, but only his name and death day, which was February 14th, is known. During the reign of Emperor Gothicus, as I mentioned before, a Roman priest named Valentinus was arrested and put into the custody of an aristocrat named Asterius. It is said that Valentinus convinced Asterus of Christ's salvation of pagans, leading them out of darkness and such. So Asterus bargained with Valentinus that if he could cure Asterus's foster daughter of blindness, he would convert to Christianity. Valentinus puts his hands over the girl's eyes, said a chant or a prayer, and the girl is said to have been miraculously able to see and Asterus and his family converted. But then the emperor Gothicus found out and he had everyone killed, with Valentinus being the only one to be beheaded. This was also on February 14th. The third Valentinus was a bishop of Terni in the province of Umbria, Italy. His history is similar to the Roman priest Valentinus. It is said that he converted a pagan and healed his son and was also beheaded by Emperor Claudius Gothicus. The Bolandists actually suggest that there probably wasn't actually two decapitated Valentines, but just two different versions of one saint's legend that appeared in both Rome and Terni. One legend I read said that Emperor Claudius Gothicus outlawed marriage for young men since he thought that single men made better soldiers, but that Valentine continued performing marriages for young lovers in secret until Claudius ordered him to be put to death. Another legend said that the bishop, St. Valentine of Terni, was the true namesake for the holiday. He was said to be jailed for helping Christians escape the torture and beatings in Roman jails. One legend says that he fell in love with a girl, possibly the daughter of his jailer, or maybe the girl, the blind girl, and it said that he sent her the first Valentine's card before his beheading in AD 270, and that he signed that card from your Valentine, which we still use today. 
Those legends don't really have historic backing and seem to have become popular more in the Middle Ages. And nevertheless, by the Middle Ages in France and England, St. Valentine was one of the most popular saints and was seen as sympathetic, heroic, and romantic. And is now considered the patron saint of love, young people, and happy marriages. Now I'm going to discuss how this holiday went from blood sacrifices, fertility rituals, and the martyrs of several St. Valentines for their Christianity to a holiday celebrating all things love. So it started with Pope Galasius. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He was the first to declare February 14th as St. Valentine's Day at the end of the 5th century. Lupercalia had survived the initial, initial rise of Christianity, but was eventually deemed unchristian. And this was Pope Galasius's way of expelling the pagan ritual. A quote from Noel Linsky, a religious studies professor at Yale University, said, It was a little more of a drunken revel, but the Christians put clothes back on it. That didn't stop it from being a day of fertility and love. So... That shows us that it did kind of come from the Christians taking a pagan holiday and making it into a saint's day. In France and England in the Middle Ages, it was also commonly believed that February 14th was the beginning of birds mating seasons, which added to the idea that the middle of February, February 14th, should be a day for romance. So. In 1375, the English poet Geoffrey Chaucer wrote his poem, Parliament of Fowls, saying, For this was sent on St. Valentine's Day, when every fowl cometh there to choose his mate. This is the first record of St. Valentine's Day actually being a day for romantic celebration. Because of Chaucer and the bird's mating season, it became fashionable for European nobility to send love notes during this season. The first known valentine in existence is a poem from Charles, Duke of Orleans, to his wife while he was imprisoned in the Tower of London following his capture at the Battle of Agnacourt in 1415. You can now find this in the British Library in London, England, in the manuscript collection. In the letter, he calls her his very gentle valentine. In Shakespeare's Hamlet, Ophelia goes to Hamlet's window in the morning so that she is the first person he sees, because folklore at the time said that the first girl a man sees on the morning of Valentine's Day would be his valentine or his true love. There is also evidence that several years later, King Henry V hired a writer, John Lingate, to compose a valentine note to Catherine of Valois. In France, the Normans, or the Norse, celebrated what looks like Galantine's Day, spelled G-A-L-A-T-I-N, or possibly Galantine. It means lover of women, and the G is pronounced as a V, so it's pronounced like Valentine's Day. A lot of the histories of Valentine's Day mentioned that this might have also gotten a little jumbled into the Valentine's equation to help make it into the holiday we know today. If you're like me, you may have grown up associating Cupid with Valentine's Day. 
actually as a kid, I even thought that the little arrow launching naked cherub was actually St. Valentine. I could really do an entire episode about Cupid's association with Valentine's Day. I kind of did a deep dive down the rabbit hole of this, but I'll try to condense it. Basically, in 700 BC, Cupid was called Eros in Greek mythology. Eros translates to desire, and he had the power to play with the hearts of both gods and morals to cause mayhem. But in the 4th century BC, people weren't into controlling sexually powerful male figures, so the stories of him changed to him being controlled by his mother, Aphrodite. Then when the Greek myths were adopted by the Romans, his name was changed to Cupid, which is a synonym for Eros, which also means desire. And he was depicted more like we know him today as a cute little kid. Then during the Renaissance, many painters like Caravaggio painted Cupid as a cute naked baby with his mother. And like I said, Caravaggio's Cupid is an example of this. Then by the end of the 18th century and the turn of the 19th century, Cupid was seen as having love-creating abilities and the Renaissance paintings were trendy. So the card manufacturers used his image for some of the first Valentine's Day cards. So basically it boils down to he was associated with love, he was cute, and he was popular at the time. So now we're going to discuss how all of that has evolved into the holiday St. Valentine's Day that we know today. The Victorian era, which is the period between about 1820 and 1914, was when Valentine's Day really started to get the romantic spin that we know it to have today. This is when it really became popular to exchange handwritten love letters and small tokens of affection. Valentine's Day was even so popular that postal carriers received special meal allowances to keep up with the amount of Valentine's they were delivering on the days leading up to Valentine's Day, February 14th. Esther A. Howland is a woman known as the mother of the Valentine. She was mass-producing elaborate Valentines with real lace, ribbon, and colorful pictures known as scrap in the 1840s. These sound like the Valentines I remember from my childhood that I remember making in school for my classmates. But some of Howland's Valentines sold for approximately $50 each in 1850, which is about $1,900 in today's money, which is a pretty good chunk of change for a card to send to someone you love. Also, a fun thing I learned about while researching this episode is vinegar Valentines as they are referred to today, but in the 1800s, they were called mocking or comic valentines, and these were sassy cards that ranged from a small jab to downright insulting or aggressive. They were cards for pretty much any person that could be disliked. Landlords, cheats, alcoholics, employers, flirts, liars, you name it, there was probably a vinegar valentine for it. According to History.com, nearly half of the valentines that were sent during the Victorian era were vinegar valentines. And then in 1861, chocolate got involved. Candy maker Richard Cadbury had the bright idea to sell chocolates in heart-shaped boxes decorated with rosebuds and cupids. 
It's widely believed that he was the first to use heart-shaped boxes, and he also marketed these boxes to be reused to keep love letters or locks of hair of your loved ones in. And then in the 19th century, with the Industrial Revolution, factory-made cards were introduced. Hallmark cards of Kansas City, Missouri began mass-producing valentines in 1913, and then cheaper postage rates and postal service helped make it even more popular to send Valentine's greetings to loved ones all over the globe. So now, how do we celebrate Valentine's Day today? According to the Greeting Card Association, approximately 145 million Valentine's Day cards are sent each year. That makes Valentine's Day the second largest card-sending holiday of the year after Christmas. Also, as I said at the beginning of the episode, I associate the tradition of eating chocolate with Valentine's Day the most. And in North America, I must not be alone because more than 58 million pounds of chocolate are bought to celebrate Valentine's Day each year. Also, many people buy roses and jewelry for their loved ones. Then there are other people who celebrate Singles Awareness Day, or S-A-D, SAD, by dining alone or buying themselves gifts or just binge eating chocolates. I have always found it fun to wear pink and white and red on Valentine's Day when I was younger. Every Valentine's Day, I would ask for a new red, pink, and white dress or outfit, and I still enjoy wearing the colors to celebrate a holiday. And then I also found it interested when I learned about the Norse holiday of Galentine's Day or Valentine's Day and how it correlates to the holiday made famous by the show Parks and Rec and Leslie Nope, Galentine's Day, which is celebrated February 13th. And in the show, she says it's ladies celebrating ladies, which made me wonder if the writers of the show knew about the Norse holiday, Galentine or Valentine. Nonetheless, this has become a very popular fake holiday and many companies even run Galentine's Day promotions. So now a couple of ways that I thought would be fun to incorporate into um, your Valentine's Day celebration, some alternative ways to celebrate St. Valentine's Day. I thought it would be interesting to bring back old tradition, you know, without sacrificing a goat or a dog. Since Lupercalia really boils down to being a fertility festival and a new life procreation ritual, it might be fun to do some kind of fertility ritual that aligns with your own beliefs. And even if you're not trying to actually conceive a child, you might be trying to conceive an idea or something in that kind of realm. So it might be a good time to do a fertility ritual. Also, maybe sow some seeds in the ground or work on your garden or if it's still freezing where you're at, maybe begin making plans for when spring comes. So start working on the fertility of your land. Drinking a good glass or bottle of red wine to symbolize a blood sacrifice is always fun. 
And also don't forget to adorn your body in red and white to symbolize the sacrifice and new life and procreation. And then of course, there's the traditional ways of just loving the people that are around you and become aware, conscious of how you're feeling about who you're spending time with and make sure that you're spending your precious time with the people who you love the most. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode and I hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day, however you decide to celebrate. I hope that it's full of love, chocolate, and maybe a good bottle of wine. And please don't sacrifice a goat or a dog. I will be back in March to discuss St. Patrick's Day and what the heck this Saint's Day has to do with little green leprechauns, the luck of the Irish, and snakes? If you have enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please like and subscribe. Maybe even leave a review. If you would like to share how you celebrate St. Valentine's Day, feel free to send me an email to letcelebratepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and joining me on this adventure. Have fun celebrating, and I hope you've learned something new today. All the references for this episode, as well as the ingredients for the cell libation, will be in the footnotes of this episode. Again, thank you for listening. Have fun celebrating.